Previously on Blunt Talk. Right. We all know who UConn women's gonna win. Right, we ain't cover we ain't cover the college women's right, but in mean, an unrelated story, the UConn women's basketball team has won 112 consecutive games, and they will continue winning. That's my prediction. I tell you, knock on wood for them girls, but I cover them when they lose, if they lose. Well, we mentioned them, so I might have been the kiss of death. Kiss of death. Yeah, we live, baby. Blunt Talk, episode number nine. I ain't mean to do it. I meant to just say, you know, a little bit of hyperbole. I know y'all was really gonna lose out there. Listen, man. Once it's on wax, ain't shit you could do. I see. But like my man said, we here, we live. It's Blunt Talk, episode nine. Shout out to all the Title Nine women and beautiful women and tells a woman that stood for that. But once again, we're here on Blunt Talk, and we're going to kick it off with the women's Final Four. First of all, let's salute the champions. South Carolina, Dawn Staley. Yes, yes, Dawn Staley, that elusive championship she did, couldn't get as a player, though right. she did win most that's outstanding in the tournament. Came full circle. She used to kill it in the WNBA, too. Yeah, like a young Asia Wilson. Most outstanding of the 2017 uh, women's NCAA tournament. Monster down there. All right, but you know who, um, you know who South Carolina beat, right? Mississippi State. Mississippi State. And, and why do we know Mississippi State? Because they dropped the kiss of death on UConn, ending their 112-game win streak, which was amazing game. Amazing game. In overtime at the buzzer. You can't ask for a better ending than that. Unless, unless you went to UConn, then you could have asked for several better endings than that. <laughs> but you know what? That, that was high drama at its finest. Like, that was... It's ironic because, you know, at one point I was feeling like there's no point even watching UConn games because you know who's going to win. But all that went out the window now. Like, I was, that was an amazing game. And that shot, that was a great shot. It was. Pull up from the right look, free throw line. Look at her face. That was a no-doubter. Man, that was big. And you know what's crazy? The no-call that happened right before that. Elbow, elbow homegirl right in the face. That was a beautiful upset, but let's go back to South Carolina because what Mississippi State did was they went on to the title game to face Dawn Staley in South Carolina, and they did come up short. I believe they lost by about nine. Yeah, down the stretch, I mean, it just turned into they're running out of time. Right. Dude, shout out to South Carolina for representation. They was on both sides of the Final Four. But, um, Word, they had a good year in everything but football. <laughs> But like you said, they ran out of the Mississippi State ran out of time. But what you think of uh, uh, William, uh, the player that hit the shot for Mississippi State? Morgan William had one of the best quotes I heard through either men's or women's tournament. They asked him, so Morgan, no time on the clock or, or two seconds on the clock as you're pulling up for that shot. What did you see? She had the best response I think I ever heard. Just asked her, what did you see? She said, opportunity. <laughs> that's why she hit it like splash. <laughs> that's, that's a cold quote. She could have just dropped the mic and walked off after that. I mean, she kind of did. She dropped the dagger. We got a lot to talk about today, man. There's a, a whole lot went down this past weekend. Yesterday alone, you had WrestleMania and the Women's Final Four and Open a Day in the MLB. Tonight... Which I don't, we could give y'all some type of predictions, but I'm just letting it be known. We're recording as the men's national championship game is on. 
So there's only so much I can tell you. My pick, I'm just going to take Gonzaga. You taking Gonzaga? Yep. You sure about that? I'm taking Gonzaga because I know you're sure about taking North Carolina. One of us got to be right. You're right, but you know who it's going to be. It's going to be me. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. We're practically on month three. How, how'd we get here? Well, being some fools on here. <laughs> UNC has absolutely too much size from Gonzaga. They do. They have a they have a load of size. Uh, Joe Barry's still banged up, but Seven Woods has actually been playing important minutes now. I almost I had a double take because that name looks so familiar. Seven. You thought you think about Seven Streeter, like that? She had a brother with the same name or something. I couldn't name you a Seven Streeter song if I had Google in front of me. Me neither. But I'll tell you, Seventh Woods is like the original YouTube basketball phenom. Yeah. I'm talking 2006, like Juggernaut Bitch videos was out. He was the Zion Williamson then. He couldn't dunk like that, but he was the guy. And now he's a backup point guard in North Carolina playing for the national championship. In fact, by the time y'all hear this, I might be able to say Seventh Woods. The NCAA champion? Yes. I guess you know I'm going to be right. But speaking of Zion Williamson, I can't wait to see him play against some boys his own size. I thought you were going to say 18-year-olds because we forget he's a sophomore. He, I, you do forget <laughs> the way he built. Like, he think he over here running. He look like LeBron James right now. Yeah, that's that's a scary cat, man. He's going to be a four in, in, in college. He's going to be like a 3-4. He's going to grow again. But it's, it's out of control. It's out of control. Yeah, I mean, it was very busy, busy sports weekend. MLB opening day was yesterday. We're going to get into some Yankees later with uh, our guy Dan Federico, Bleacher Report, uh, no offseason podcast. And Elite Sports New York. Elite Sports New York, outside pitch MLB. Uh, he's a big baseball guy, big wrestling guy as well, so we are going to get into some WrestleMania. WrestleMania! The ultimate thrill ride. Can I just merge two things real quick, though? Go ahead. You know, we talk wrestling on occasion. We talk football, usually. Rob Gronkowski made his WrestleMania moment happen. Oh, that was great. That was great. That was awesome. I know the, the team, well, maybe not the team, but these little analysts was upset. <laughs> There's no way Robert Kraft was happy about that. He was probably, eh. eh. Gronk, Gronk somehow, somehow had time to be at WrestleMania last night and then be at uh, Fenway this morning for the, the Red Sox first game where he promptly stole Tom Brady's recently returned jerseys. That was hilarious, too. That was see. That's why, like Gronk, you gotta look at Gronk. Like Robert Kraft looking at Gronk, like one of his kids, like little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know the just the optic to me, knowing this guy just came off knee surgery. I don't want my uh, quarterback tackling my recently surgery repaired tight end. It, you know, maybe not a good idea. That's true, but just being off the record and real people, I had to get my shit back. Yeah, that was, <laughs> Tom Brady ain't taking no chances. He Everyone, just got his jersey think, back. You might think he's softer than the inside of, of uh, those Ugg moccasins, but I'll tell you what, any man that has five Super Bowl rings is good money in my book. Straight up. Speaking of the Patriots, though, some more big news from the NFL. Let's talk about it. Adrian Peterson visiting the Patriots. Really? Really? That's, that's got all the ingredients at 18-1 and one written all over it. The rich get richer. And lose in the Super Bowl next year. You're going to hold on to that till to, to the, end of the end of the world, ain't you? All right, Giants fan, you did get that. But on a serious note, they, it, they already upgraded somehow after winning the Super Bowl. If they were able to add Adrian Peterson too, 
And he doesn't even have to give them a ton. They have other capable running backs, but he's just going to replace LeGarrette Blunt. But think about that. The Patriots made LeGarrette Blunt look like a Pro Bowl running back. What is Adrian Peterson going to look like? I'm I'm not hoping we find out. On top of that, you have Brandon Cooks in yes. the mix. Yes. That's like taking you know how like Patriots used to have that two running back system where you had Shane Vereen and and um Ridley and and Bolden. Brandon Bolden, yeah. Right. That's like just taking them out the backfield and just putting them wherever Brandon Cooks is. Like that's gonna replace that who's Somehow he's 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 like a lightning bug. He's so fast. They got back to their two tight end sets too. They added Dwayne Allen and they signed another tight end too. They signed somebody after Dwayne Allen. Yeah, they signed. Well, I guess they signed somebody to be a third blocking tight end. They so, did. I can't remember. I can't remember who though right now. That means it wasn't that important. But Dwayne it Allen wasn't because no you got Dwayne Allen exactly. and you got Gronk. Plus you got Brandon Cooks. Your defense is ramped up because Malcolm Butler is still there, and you just yeah, signed Dante Hightower's back, and you just signed Stephon Gilmore. So. No, you're right. It does have the makings of 18 and 1, but I don't think that one's going to happen this time. Are you thinking the one's happening in the regular season? <laughs> right. It might. You might go 15, 15 and 1. 15 and 1. <laughs> and then just run through the playoffs. But I think Tom Brady's on another level. He's playing as good as he's ever played. You give him Brandon Cooks already. You give him Gronk back. You give him a Dwayne Allen. And then you're going to add Adrian Peterson to the mix with an improved defense. You know, even looking at the receivers they already have from last year. I'm not a huge Amendola fan because he's got paper skin and glass bones. But Julian Edelman is the real deal, Holyfield. And you got to say he's something about there. Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm Mitchell came on good last year. It's not just because Tom Brady was there. You had Chris Hogan looking like Jerry Rice in the playoffs. Wyckoff, New Jersey's own Chris Hogan. All I hear, all this stuff we describe all spells problems for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about a team that just made all these moves. They just won the Super Bowl. Then made these moves. Not to right. mention, they just had the largest, was it the largest comeback in Super Bowl history? Right, right. They were getting waxed. And then the Falcons turned into the Falcons. But we don't need to rehash that because it's now April. And that was all of like a, a first half ago. Well, you just reminded you, you what happened. But that is a scary sight. Also, NFL news, you got short and OTs on the table. How you feel about that? Uh, the thing with the overtime rule, first things first, I think. There shouldn't be there shouldn't be ties in football. There, there's no room for I a tie. I agree. You play too hard. It's too physical. physical yeah, you can't, it's hard to settle somebody after you're, you're beating up somebody that's standing across from you for an hour hour plus. Oh yeah, you tie. Hey, you're equal. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm not. I'm not even a fan of. Uh, just think how it looks goofy when someone has three different digits or three different lines in their record. That's like a yes, no, or maybe. Did you win? Of the major sports, the only one that has a tie that I can concur with is hockey. No, soccer, actually. Hockey, I like shootout rules better. I would rather shootout rules happen all the time, and if you don't want to shoot out, you shoot out some more. Now, I'm kind of a fan of the three-on-three, but I do get you. Right. There should be a definitive finish to any, yes. any, any game. Even regular season. I know they changed the rules in the playoffs, but I think hockey should take the cue for football. Regular season should have playoff rules. But soccer, I could get a tie because... With aggregate and all that stuff, it comes into play anyway. Like home away goals count more than home goals, vice versa. So ties are okay in soccer in most situations. And right once again, when it's tournament style, knockoff style, they throw those rules out. To have a tie in football is terrible, but I do like the idea of a shortened overtime yeah. because yeah, I mean, like like you said, it's an extremely physical game. That's less time now. You got to beat somebody up. Like, right. That that wears down. That overtime game, you're playing on a Monday night, and now you got to play somebody else on Sunday. You got to travel. 
Guys, feel that. That's an extra, that's an extra 15 minutes currently. On top of the fact that the rules are set up so one team has possession of the ball that you just gotta you gotta kick a field goal. So why are you gonna have us out here all day? If you're gonna do it, do it. If not, not. Like we're not playing to lose or just waste time. We're playing to win in overtime. So take shots. It's gonna force teams to take more shots. That's true. You're not gonna be able to gamble on we'll get the ball back. You don't know you'll get the ball back. Sometimes I mean I'm all for change. The NFL overtime as it's currently constituted, I'm not a big fan of, so even if they just cut off a couple minutes, whatever tweaks they find necessary, I'm here for. Right. Pre-show and everything. Of course, uh, I caught some of the NXT myself, so I can't even, can't even. I'm with you right there. So <laughs> let me ask you, what was your favorite match of the night? I mean, all seven hours through, what, what, what stood out to you? It was definitely, you know, a stat card. Obviously, every WrestleMania, they have all the top matches you could want, you know, in a wrestling ring. But when I'm thinking about up and down the card, the match that stood out to me the most, which I actually didn't have much expectations for, was Shane McMahon and AJ Styles, the one that started it all. Uh, you know, I thought it was it what didn't last too long. You know, it was they didn't oversaturate anything, but you know, Shane McMahon is absolutely nuts. AJ Styles is like he says, he's phenomenal. So I thought that they did a great job having a regular match. You know, they had the little ref incident, so they were able to bring in, you know, a bunch of the high flying stuff, a couple of weapons. So I thought that one was the coolest one of the night. I'm right there with you. I, I didn't catch any of the pre-show, but I started off on the actual main card. When you see the owner's son, or I guess you can call Shane, SmackDown's own Shane McMahon <laughs> hitting a shooting star press. Like, where, where does he even pull this stuff out? He, this guy's almost 50. I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I'll tell you the truth, and then I'll, I'll let you in on this. At first, I didn't expect too much from it. I was thinking, AJ Styles, I want to have him a real opponent, so to speak, for his WrestleMania match, his first one. But I saw that Shane match. I mean, they started off kind of kind of crazy with going outside jumping elbow through the table and all that stuff like it was it was off the chain so i, I gotta apologize to shane mcmahon <laughs> for that you know what I, I agree with you i was one of the guys who said aj styles is probably the best wrestler in the company he's got to have a one-on-one -on -one match you know i would like them to see him go against bray wyatt for the championship but you know they kind of feel like they forced shane mcmahon's hand but He's a big-time guy. I mean, he shows out in the big matches. I guess it was wrong to doubt him because, obviously, he was ready. I mean, I think it was David Otunga who said, take note, that's the SmackDown commissioner doing a shooting star press. So I thought that was really cool, even though he missed it. But still, I mean, like I said, it was definitely a lot more entertaining than I thought it was going to be. And I enjoyed it a lot. Definitely. I mean, if, if nothing else, we know, I mean, we should have already known this, but Shane is a hell of an athlete. Himself, so that, yeah. that that was actually he, he's no small guy. Shane Shane's about six two two thirty. Yeah, solid. He's a big boy, and he 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 looks like he's been training in more time. <laughs> like that's I, I wanted to uh, touch on something you just mentioned. You uh you mentioned Bray Wyatt in the title match. 
I mean, I felt really disappointed, and that whole storyline seemed kind of gimmicky, but what, were your, what was your take on that match? Now, see, you know, leading up to this, I I wasn't, you know, as much of a fan of how they, like you said, it was gimmicky. You know, they, they had a lot of, like, the burning down the house and all that kind of stuff. But I was invested because I was happy that they actually put time into this. You know, a lot of wrestling storylines, they just do it really quick. And this has been going on since last fall. So they've really invested a lot of time. I was really excited for this match, and I couldn't have been any more disappointed. I mean, between the stuff going on, you know, in the ring, those pictures of the maggots and cockroaches, I don't know what that was about. And then it just, it, it seemed like the match had no flow to it. I don't know. I, I didn't enjoy it at all. I was really disappointed. Agreed. Yeah, even the, the sudden sudden ending. I was happy for it to be done, but you could have set up something. The, the one thing I could take from that sudden ending was that was one of the best sells on the RKO. Yeah, that was I full extension. Yeah. yeah, I do agree with that one. <laughs> All the way down to the match. <laughs> hey, Oscar Harris could sell that RKO. Yeah, tell, he surely did. So that was the best part of that match, literally. But I'm with you on that, Dan. I was I was fairly disappointed. I mean, I want to talk about investment. I got de-invested the more I watched the match. So I said, the more times I've seen a, a maggot scream, <laughs> right, what's, what's next? You know. So I was definitely with you on that. I just want to touch on one more topic from WrestleMania. The Hardy Boys came back yesterday. I don't think anyone saw that unless you listened to the podcast last week. I was and it all the way out. I was <laughs> do, do you think this is uh, the WWE more so trying to uh, pay retribution to a you know a, a long-standing faction they let go, or is this just a gimmick? I, I, I'm I'm kind of perplexed because you know when you saw them come out, they came out to the old music, which you know if they were gonna come back in any form you couldn't have them do their whole broken gimmick with the music and everything because not everybody would have understood that from that standpoint but when they came out i mean jeff hardy looked like jeff hardy circa 2001 like he had the same get up same everything but then when you see matt he's doing the character he had in tna and most recently in ring of honor so i mean i'm happy they came back i'm excited i'm glad they came back i think it was a smart move by the wwe my thing is I'm not sure if they're going to keep them together for very long. I think they did that last night where they won the Raw Tag Team Championships. I think that was a smart move just to get the crowd into it. But just by the way they looked, you know, like I said, Jeff Hardy looked like Jeff Hardy from WWE and Matt Hardy had his broken gimmick. I think that they're eventually going to do have Jeff Hardy on, let's say, Raw as a top-level babyface and then Matt Hardy go to SmackDown and kind of separate them. Like I said, I'm glad they're there. But I think the actual Hardy Boys pairing is not going to last very long. WrestleMania was a great event. We could all agree on that, though, it all in all. But I'd like to slide over and get your take on the Yankees and how we starting off the season right now. We got a lot of high hopes. We got the Baby Bombers class coming in. You know, Gary Sanchez, Judge, Gleyber Torres, the whole nine. What do you think of our start so far to the season? You know, like you said, one game in the books. Definitely a disappointing one, especially when you see how Tanaka performed during spring training. I mean, he was lights out. Last year, he would, you know, he defined himself as an ace. I mean, a lot of people say the Yankees rotation is nothing, so he gets boosted up a little higher because he doesn't have anyone really to compete with. But I think he's a top pitcher in baseball anyway. He had a great season. You know, he was disappointing in the first game. It happens. I mean, things happen. People slip up. He couldn't go on that streak forever, what he did in spring training. So I guess it's good to get it out of the way. So that was a little disappointing when it comes to the pitching, especially when you see that he's the only guy they could really rely on. Everybody else is a question mark in that rotation. So that's something to you know keep an eye on and not worry about per se because it is game one, but just, just to look at and see how he rebounds in his next start. But as for the baby bombers, like you mentioned, you know they have Gary Sanchez, they have Aaron Judge and Greg Bird all at the major league level. 
they're going to be playing in the everyday lineup. And then you have Gleber Torres, Clint Frazier, a couple of those guys, you know, biding their time in the minor leagues. Now, when you look at it, we all know, I, I know you guys can agree with me. Gary Sanchez isn't going to be what he was last year. Cause that's just impossible. He's not going to hit 75 home runs. I mean, that, that it's, it's impossible, but realistic expectations for Gary Sanchez is hitting somewhere close to 300. I mean, he was 299 last year. He was never a crazy hitter for average in the minor leagues. So I'd say anywhere between 280 and 290 is something that the Yankees fans should be happy about. He's definitely shown the power threat. So you should expect around 25 to 30 home runs. I think he could still hit at that level. Obviously not 20 and 53 games like he did last year, but definitely a 30 home run type of hitter. And just one thing to keep an eye on that I feel like it goes unnoticed is his defensive ability behind the plate. I mean, you're going to see that some runners are not going to be wanting to go against him when they're trying to steal bases. So he's definitely, you know, somebody who the Yankees are fortunate to build their team around. Definitely. But uh, let me ask you this, since you brought up his defense. Uh, I had a thought, and maybe I'm not judging him because it's still early season, one game in the books, 161 more to go. But do you think his youth comes into account when thinking about handling a veteran staff? Like you have a Tanaka, you have a Sabathia along with the rest of our stuff. I mean, like you said, we have a lot of question marks in our starting rotation. So how do you feel about a young catcher handling that staff? To start, I think if you're going to rebuild a team, catcher is an important position. So I think they're in a good spot with him there, but I do agree with you where he definitely showed the physical ability. You know, he has the strong arm. He could get behind the plate quickly. If there's a pop-up or something like that, if there's a pass ball, he could get to it quicker than a regular catcher, but he's still an unknown when it comes to pitch framing and calling a game. So when it comes to that, it's, it, it is an unknown. And I'm not really sure how to answer that question. I don't know how he's going to end up being, but I think as time goes on, it's definitely going to be something that's part of his game. I know in the minor leagues, he was always somebody who wasn't really focused on catching. He was always a hitter first. And then when he was getting close to being called up, he kind of took that part of his game to the next level. So all signs pointing positive. I think he's going to be able to adjust to it. But right now, it's like you said, it's just really an unknown at this point. Uh, you did mention the pitching. We had some some veteran pitchings, obviously CC Tanaka, although he's been in MLB only a couple years. Uh, I want to talk about some of the guys that Gary Sanchez did work with in the minor leagues, a guy like a guy like our four starter uh, Luis Severino, even a guy I'm not sure if he, he did he play with Jordan Montgomery down in the minors. He did play with him for a little bit of last year, not much though. And when you look at everybody talking about the baby bombers and they go through their prospect system and you see all these young guys, it's definitely hitters over pitchers. The the pitching situation there is still a little bleak at the major league level and even at the minor league level. Like you said, Severino. He has the natural ability to dominate. And you saw that when he first got called up in 2015, that span of a month and a half when he was called up, he had a 2.89 ERA. He was overpowering people with his fastball. So, you know, he has that. The problem is he needs to add more pitches to his repertoire. You know, he's really a two pitch pitcher right now. And you just can't start with that at the major league level. So he did dominate as a reliever, but he's also 22 years old. So the Yankees obviously would rather, especially in a year where, they're no, they're not really competing for an AL East crown. They could sneak into a wild card if everything goes right. But these are the kind of years where you put these people out and see what they could do and see who you could build around, who you can't. So it's going to be, uh, you know, curious to see how Severino does, especially because he has the two pitches. As for Jordan Montgomery, I was a fan of his last year. I followed him extensively because I was covering the minor league teams as well, and he really showed out in spring training. I mean, the Yankees need a lefty. If you look at all you know, the years that they won, they always had a lefty in the rotation. Going back to Whitey Ford, Ron Guidry, Andy Pettit, CeCe Sabathia, you need that lefty. 
I'm not saying Jordan Montgomery's at that level, but in a hitter-friendly ballpark like Yankee Stadium, a southpaw is important. So he right now, they didn't name a fifth starter, but he's pitching on the same pace that the Yankees' fifth starter would be pitching on those same dates. So he's definitely in line to be called up once they do need that fifth starter. Like you said, he did show out in spring training. I think he has very high upside. He has great poise on the mound. His delivery is very repeatable, so it keeps hitters on their toes. He's definitely someone to look out for. Another guy who the future is bright for, we're not exactly sure when the call-up will happen, but uh, what do you see from Glaber Torres this year? He's been an absolute menace down in the minors. You know, when the Yankees got that trade to happen and they really, I believe, stole Gleyber Torres from the Cubs because they ended up signing Chapman back. So that was really a win-win situation either way. But when he was first traded to the Yankees, he did kind of struggle in the minors. He had 257. It may have been an adjustment to a new team. You know, you can't really go by that. The expectations were still sky high. But when you saw what he did in the Arizona Fall League, now I'm not sure if you guys know, the Arizona Fall League is really a collection of all the team's either top prospects or most intriguing prospects. And he was the MVP, the youngest MVP in AFL history. He led in all offensive categories. He was an absolute stud. And as you guys saw in spring training, he came back and did the same exact thing against major league talent. I mean, he hit 448 and Brian Cashman had a vote between all, you know, personnel on the team, coaches, front office. And when Didi Gregorius went down, they all voted that Torres should start game one in Yankee stadium. But when you look in the background and see that, you know, he hasn't played past a ball, he hasn't played in cold weather yet, and they also want him to play second base and third base. They want him to be a versatile type of player. You know, it's smart for them to smart to, excuse me, it's smart for them to start him in the minor leagues just to bide his time. I think he'll eventually get called up this season. It wouldn't be a shock at all if you see him at 20 years old playing Yankee Stadium at some point in 2017. But when you factor in everything, you know, like I said, he hasn't played as high A ball. That's that's a very low level of the minors, and that's a big adjustment to go from that to the majors. I think they made the right decision. But Yankees fans need to be excited I about this guy. See that. I could definitely see that. Hey, Dan, I appreciate you uh, coming on with us today. Uh, let the people know where they can find your stuff at, man. I like to thank you guys too very much. I'm glad we had this conversation. Hopefully, we can do it again. And uh, everybody, if you want, please follow me on Twitter. At Real Dan Federico. That's at Real Dan Federico. I'm writing for Bleacher Report, Elite Sports New York, Outside Pitch MLB, No Offseason Podcast. I got my hand dipped in everything. So if you follow me on Twitter, I have all my work on there. So yeah, just stay tuned. And I got a couple good things coming up soon. So appreciate it if you guys give me a follow. to thank Dan Federico from Bleach Report as well as Elite Sports New York and No Offseason Podcast for joining us in on that call. Great insight. Follow him on Twitter. He dropped you the details and trust me, the man knows his baseball. He knows his wrestling. He probably knows a hell of a lot of other things too. <laughs> so once again, we appreciate you, baby, for dropping in. On to the next one. Let's stick with the baseball. We already talked about the Yankees. What about Madison Bumgarner? We got to talk about Mad Bum for a second because, man, he was the offense and the defense yesterday. And the Giants, who went out and got a closer because that was the issue last year, still couldn't protect that man. <laughs> it was actually kind of sad. It was terrible. I'm like, damn, you cranked two home runs? He gave himself the lead back twice. And those weren't no little chippies. Nah, he no, smashes. No, he cranked them. He smashes. You know I, what it is? It's something about he's got that look on his He looks angry all the time. He comes to the plate looking angry. He plays he no pitches games. looking angry. Plays no games. 
the Mad Bum. That's a real. That's a real nickname. But is it time that he gets part time battle duties? No, I'm not ready to say that. He's not yet. Kyle Swarber for the Cubs. But Kyle Swarber don't pitch. No, nope, but <laughs> Madison Bumgarner can hit. I know. I, I get that. I get that. Noah Syndergaard picked up two hits today. Zach Greinke gets hits every now and then. But there's this, not a pitcher in the entire league that I believe is more worthy of getting shots at the plate than a regular position player who actually does that 162 but, but times a year. But Zach Greinke and Matt, this is the difference between Zach Greinke and Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner is six five, six six, two forty. I'm, I'm, I'm. I he looks that. like Adam he's got, Dunn. He's got the frame of a uh, of a the crimson chin, but, but. I'm not ready to, to uh, you know, crown him the new Babe Ruth. I don't see a single pitcher being worthy of all those, those plate appearances. That's how Babe. That's how Babe Ruth started. He started the pitcher and was like, you know what? You kind of have a good hitter too, and then that's how it went down. Why is bad? Why? Why do we not believe in these pitchers? I know they got to rest their arm and all that stuff, but Madison Bumgarner. Not only does he crank and get hits, no, he looks absolutely comfortable. Up yeah, there. now he's definitely comfortable in the box. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm here to to to. To blast this over the too, wall. The <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't help myself. You funny motherfucker. <laughs> Madison Bumgarner looks entirely too comfortable up there, and it's just like, I don't know, man. I I I, I would give him a shot. I I would absolutely give him a shot to bat on his off day. It, I mean, for the, as far as Bruce Bochy goes, he's got the options. He could do whatever he wants. I'm, I don't watch enough Giants games to really he tell you. He could be my first pitcher in off the bench. Well, what I was going to say I think he is was before. when they have their interleague games, he's DHing. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the perfect time to employ it because now you don't got to do it all the time. Interleague so will, games aren't will as common. So will we see Mad Bum DHing this year? I'm saying yeah. I think so, too. I'm saying yeah. And I still don't believe that he's worthy of those plate appearances. But for the fans, especially if you're a Giants fan and this guy's the guy, to be able to say, hey, I went and saw the Giants play the Tigers. I'm going to put you on the spot. What's up? Who are you taking at the plate? Yasiel Puig or Mad Bum? I'm taking Yasiel Puig. Stop it. Because I know if Mad Bum throws at him, only one of them got the hands to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to match up what escalation might ensue. That's one thing about baseball. We could talk about how good Madison Bumgarner is at, at the, uh, obviously he's a great pitcher. But at the plate, he's been, he's been pretty good for a pitcher. That's like remarkable to some of the things he's doing. That's a guy, and like I said, you see it in his eyes. He throws at guys, and when they look back at him, now he's offended. The fact that you could throw a pitch 90 miles per hour with a chance to knock someone's lights out in baseball, and that's your retaliation, the batter doesn't have a chance to throw back at you. He's either hitting it over the wall or he's, he's taking his base. Like That's, I, that's so stupid. Just, just either, either take that completely out the game or let them fight. I don't let them mean fight. to sound like a caper for my, my next home. Love Frisco, by the way. Love the Bay. But... You think they really want to bother Mad Bum? You think they really want a piece of that? I think Yasiel Puig would. I'm sure I'm sure there's more than a few batters. That's a guy that gets shown up so easily and he's always salty about it. Don't get shown up then. Like what what can, there's no other like sport. A there's no head. other sport. <laughs> he like he lived by the rule whenever I go in a new bar I've never been and I only order bottles so I can use a weapon if I need to. Like like he looked like one of them dudes. Like I don't think he, he ever gonna be worried about no batter. I, that play that Aaron play to Judge me is just so Aaron Judge is the size of the tick. Aaron Judge is like Michael Strahan out there on a baseball field. Yeah, he looks like a a, a bigger Denlin Batances. That's crazy. <laughs> no, nah, I just think the the whole concept of throwing to somebody is too inherently dangerous to stick around. They talk about making changes to the game. That should be one of them. Unwritten rules are rules that you can't govern now. 
Because when someone breaks them, there's no there's no penalty in place. The second best part of sports besides the drama is the beef. Let them fight then. That's not beef. Hockey like, is great. Yeah, but in hockey, yeah. you don't have to worry about, okay, this guy feels showed up, so now he's going to just take a slap shot at your neck. Which, no, you got to worry about he's going to fight you. That's fine. You can <laughs> fight with hands. Let the baseball players fight. Don't Don't throw... When somebody's standing in the box not ready to the, take a pitch, you know, throw 90 at them. What That's game you cool, remember from, from last season? I bet you remember that Rangers-Blue Jays game. Nah, you know what I mean? I was thinking of Madison Bumgarner throwing at Yasiel Puig, which is why it's funny you brought him up. Because it's not the first time he's throwing at Puig. Puig celebrates when he hits a home run. Don't let him hit home runs off you, and you won't have to try to beam him every time. Because if that's the case, then just let the guys fight. That's easy. Suspend them after. Don't let them hit home runs off me. Take your home run and go. You want, you if want, you upset I hit a home run off of you, it's because you felt like I shouldn't have. No, I'm upset you walking 0.2 miles per hour around the bases, like pick it up. People already leaving the stands. People already saying I'm getting too long. You want to strut around and hold it up for you? That's why I'm throwing at you. That's the, I, I, I think the plague itself is just too, it's too dangerous. It is dangerous. But I get it. And everybody loves danger. It's the only sport, though, where something like that could happen. In football, if you're mad someone's messing with you, you know what you do? You hit them. Even if it's not a punch, you clip them, block them in the back. Well, in the all types, all types of dirty plays that aren't gonna necessarily end the guys. You know, you might hit somebody side of the head. Now they're blind. That happened in baseball. That happens in baseball. You can't have that kind of thing be legislated into the game because it's part of the unwritten rules. I digress. Madison Bumgarner, you're nice. Just you know, stop being a jerk. And you doing and, you, mad bum? And you like Mar from uh, Home Alone? I agree with that though. Without all the curls, though. Without all the curls, just kind of the straight, shaggy hair. But enough about the Giants. Yankees, man. Yankees lost opening day, but we're going to bounce back tomorrow. I'm still, uh, the one thing I took away from that wasn't that Tanaka is not going to be the pitch he was at spring training. The one thing I, I, I worried about, and we asked, we asked Dan from Bleach Report about this. Is Gary Sanchez, you know, a young catcher is an interesting position to handle the staff because a catcher really has to call the game sometimes. So how does that come into play? Maybe he needs a little more time to learn the league, but what are your what are your expectations for Gary Sanchez's second year? Uh first things first, I know you want you talked about the defense. Let me just break it down offensively because I hear a whole lot of fair weather Yankees fans, and to be fair, Grew up in an era where they won five championships in six years, it's so nice. that's going to happen. It's just going to be. That's just going to happen. Do I think he's going to hit 60, 70 home runs this year? Absolutely not. Do I think he's giving you 25-plus? Yes. Yes. Can he hit around 300? Yes. Now, defensively is what you said before. Expectations. As far as handling the staff, that's, that's growing pains. You learn that with the game. He's lucky that Severino's a guy he came up with in the minor leagues. If Jordan Montgomery gets that call up, it's another guy he's worked with. But Pineda, CeCe, uh, even Tanaka. Tanaka might not be young age-wise, but baseball, I mean, uh, for the MLB, he's only been here a couple years, so he hasn't had a ton of work with a bunch of these guys. That's going to take some time, man. You don't just pick that up. But luckily, the one caveat is he has Joe Girardi, a former catcher, as a manager. Yes, that helps. That has to. I'm not worried about the offense either. I think offensively he's going to produce. Like, you know, maybe maybe like Dan said, you got to temper the whole 50 home run expectations, but 30 and 90 RBIs, I'll take that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. I signed up for that in a heartbeat. Right. If you, get, if you give me what, what was A-Rock giving numbers every year, 
And what's the last time we had that? It's been like three, four years since we had somebody solid. In Thirty and ninety. Like yeah, it's yeah. been a while. It's been a while. I hope Matt Holiday shows up this year too. Really hoping that hope he shows up. But you know, one hundred sixty-one more. We did lose the first game. It was seven to two. But we'll bounce back. We'll bounce back. Got another game tomorrow, Tuesday. So we'll see what happens. On to random sports news, not too random, but the LPGA Tour continuing our women's empowerment movement. Oh, yeah, my favorite sport. Shout out to Natalie Gobis. Oh, I was going to go there too. But from one lady golfer to another, Lexi Thompson got beef this weekend. Jobbed, man. That was horrible. Horrible. You know what was horrible about it? And in case, let's just fill you in. So Lexi Thompson, she's leading the field at this point. Yeah, right? well, well, yeah the, the penalty in question occurred on Saturday. From a viewer, a viewer tip, an email. Get sent to the LPGA. It's Sunday. The email's about Saturday's offense. She illegally moved her ball. An inch. An inch. And that was to adjust. There's no competitive advantage. However, that's a two-stroke penalty. Not recorded by the scorekeepers. Anyone there? Someone really saw it on TV and went out their way to say, hey, uh, she moved her ball an inch. Two-stroke penalty. Now, they brought this up on Sunday, meaning her scorecard for Saturday was already signed and turned in. An additional two-stroke penalty. She had a three-stroke lead on Sunday, was assessed this penalty four strokes, ended up losing the whole damn tournament. I mean, y'all can't see it right now, but I'm just shaking my head. Like, I got, like, kink in my neck from shaking it so hard because it's just not right. Like, like the scorecard was turned in. I mean, I always thought this because it's not the first time this happened in uh, golf either. Yeah, but you have somebody sitting home just being salty call in like could you imagine if any other sport even allowed something That's what like I that say. that don't happen in no other <laughs> sport oh let me go tell y'all what y'all missed like who who what and and, and take into the fact that it was the next day <laughs> that was terrible and so she's leaving the field on sunday she gets this news they approach her on the course they tell her oh yes we got this viewer tip about your inch movement. I mean, I bet she's thinking at this point, she first heard it, I can't even remember what you're talking about right now. I'm in the middle of trying to win this tournament. Go yeah, golf is such a mental game that to come to somebody and say, hey, uh, we're taking four strokes off. From 16 I hours ago. I'm not saying that she would have won if she would have found out after, but when you're playing and you're up three strokes, you're playing with some confidence. And they killed all that. You're playing with more than confidence. You're playing with the league. You got house money. Right. <laughs> And then you're going to take it away. She got robbed, literally. They took the money out her hand. <laughs> like, that literally. <laughs> took For real. Money out her hand. Like, that was, that was terrible. That was terrible. But I feel for you, Lexi Thompson. Feel for you. I think, I think golf, if you want to you wanna change anything, because remember a couple weeks ago, they were talking about, talking changing, about changing the rules, stroke yeah. counting and all this stuff. Make it easy. No, change this whole viewer tip thing. Do you verify? Do you go back and watch the videotapes? Say, oh, yeah, you're right. They're just taking people's word for it. Crazy. Craziness. Anything else? Uh, I think there's some obscure tennis news we wanted to cover. Oh, yes. The Miami Open, not a Grand Slam. But still, it's Miami Open. Still uh, an awesome final. Which one? You, the, the women's or the men's? I'm talking about the men's. We got to watch. I felt like I, felt like I, was, playing, felt like I was playing top spin two on Xbox I again. A, I was on virtual tennis real quick. <laughs> Sliding all over the clay court. But. Federer got it done. I like to see the old man get it done because 
the dog comes out a little, little like a jerk, which is great because you need that in your athletes. But at the same time, I like what Federer went. He be chilling. He be like, all right, you know, I got it, whatever. And he, old man Federer, all thirty five years old of him, got it done again. I mean, how many times he beaten the dog now? He definitely lost a series. I feel like every time I see them go head to head, or at least for a trophy, Federer comes away with the win. Really. I feel like Nadal had a, a portion in there where he was just beating it like a drum. Well, in the la- last uh, the Australian Open. The last two meetings he won. Yeah. Federer won. But before that, Federer had a slump against Nadal. Uh, he was actually injured during that span, too, to be fair. Because I think before that, it was something like 3-3, three and three, and then it was 6-3. and three Because in a few years span, uh, Federer was playing with all those back injuries. <laughs> and he's the old older player. Is he the modern GOAT male tennis player? Uh, for male tennis players, you know what? I'm going to have to say, yeah. Who else would it be? It's him and the doll. Like, it's the guy he played and just beat. And from what I've I've seen, at least, I've seen him win more of those. You want to talk about goat tennis player all time? That's tough to compare. You got Johnny especially, Mack, Andre Agassi. Yeah, especially in the men's, I say it's more competitive. You want to go overall. You know, that's that's Serena's title. Nobody else is really... Uh, I think, yeah, I think I still value it. And by the way, on the other side, the women's tournament, Caroline Wozniacki did not pull it out. She lost to a woman who I cannot even pronounce her name. That's pretty terrible, but I didn't even have the backup myself. That was Conta. Something with a K. <laughs> <laughs> Something with a K indeed. But yeah, so Caroline Wozniacki lost to Conta. Sound like Contra. She lost to Contra. No band. Up, up, down, down, left, right. Start select. <laughs> but um, you can't beat somebody with unlimited lives. Caroline Wozniacki reminds me of uh, her career so far reminds me of Maria Sharapova. You always been at the dance, but you rarely get it done. So you know sometimes to be, always be there is a, is a feat in itself. But she's not even always there. She's she's not the Bills. Uh, <laughs> why you got to bring the Bills into this? It's just always fun to make fun of the Bills, man. They took an L to every NFC East team. Well, four four L's to three NFC East teams. We can't really call it four because the Eagles don't got a damn trophy. Bums. Bunch of bums. Other things on the slate, though. We we went into the NCAA, but let's talk about the NBA basketball. Let's take it to the pros. First, start with the Knicks, please. If we start with the Knicks, we got to start on a sad note. Oh, come on. All right. Let's let's, let's get it out the way because I'd rather be chipper at the end of this conversation. I have to. Because you know I'm going to talk about y'all. Yeah. Yeah, I know. If you haven't seen, if you lived under a rock and you're in the New York area, Derrick Rose has torn his meniscus again. How long he's out is actually irrelevant. I believe that's his second meniscus tear in that knee. In that knee. In that knee. He tore both. Yes. This is the right knee. This is the right. This is the same knee that was surgically prepared from the original injury in the playoffs. Yes. He can kiss that contract goodbye. I've. And I, you've heard me. I've been a very vocal, I'm not going to say uh, opponent of Derrick Rose, but his. I mean, he's been able to score. He hasn't been a great contributor to making the Knicks a better team this year. However, as a human being and watching a guy that was so good and can still do so many things on a basketball court, realizing he's going into an uncertain free agency and now just tore his knee with five games left, I'm a little sick to my stomach over there. I'm, I'm sorry, Derrick Rose. I'm sick for him. But let me ask you, how are you going to say he could score and he's not contributed to teams' wins? That was like a redundant statement right no, there. No, it's not. 
Yes, it is. Nah, sometimes sometimes you cost your team shots trying to take shots. Sometimes you don't need those guys to think they need shots to always take the shots. Well, if he's not going to pass and he's going to take that shot because those guys don't need him. Is Derrick Rose going 7 for 22? No. He's not even putting up AI numbers. He's putting up Derrick Rose numbers. He's going. It's because AI took threes. Derrick Rose realized that he's really bad. Three-pointers just gave it up. And as a result, offenses just drop off like he's Rajon Rondo now. AI was Steph Curry, or Steph Curry was AI stepping back a, a foot. AI should take 22 and 21-foot jumpers religiously and did the same thing that Steph Curry does now. Right? So that's I, one. I, would, I would take either one of those over Derrick Rose. We're not talking about them. You know what? I don't even want to harp too long on the Derrick Rose thing. Let me let me let me just get this off my chest for a second, Knicks. Let me just get this off my off my chest for half a second. Go ahead, speak Be- on it. I just a couple years ago, he ended up with the number four pick into Christos Porzingis. Good pick. Better pick than if we would have ended up with D'Angelo Russell or Jaleel Okafor. But goddamn it, you could have had the number one pick. You decided to beat the number one seed Hawks, the Timberwolves and the Sixers who are both behind you, with a week left. So you went from a guaranteed top three. To possibly landing as low as seven. Now we got four. Could have been worse. We did okay with the pick. We're doing the same but, thing again. But you could have had Cat. We, in the past two weeks, the Knicks lost. In five days, they lost two games to the Nets, who were the worst team in the league. Not bad. Lose those games. In that span, they beat the playoff-bound Pacers. And I followed up by beating the playoff hopeful Pistons and the eight-seed Miami Heat. If you're those teams, how do you even let us beat you? We tanked, we tanked by accident for four months. Now all of a sudden we could beat you? What the hell happened? I could tell you what happened, but you don't want to hear it, Knicks fan. Well, here's the answer. We sat down, Derrick Rose and Carmelo Anthony. Short answer. Short answer was actually that, yeah. But Unfortunately that. Don't trust that fool's goal. Y'all not better without them. I know that. I know we're not supposed to be winning those games, and instead we are. Come on, man. We're about, we're, I think we're seventh right now. We have Orlando, uh, Sacramento, Philly. There's a few teams bunched together. And, in fact, we end the season at Philly. So if we could just lose a couple more of those games. There's a scenario in which the Sixers, they have a pick swap with the Kings, but they also have a pick swap with the Lakers. Actually, it's not a pick swap. It's a straight-up, we get your pick if the Lakers finish outside the top three. Likely, if that happens, it's because the Sixers have a top three pick. So what will happen is they, they can end up with their own pick at three and a Lakers pick at four. You notice the Knicks aren't good at anything. Not even good at tanking. They can't even tank right. Can't even tank him. Like my main man Randy said, you should just put a quarter in your ass because you played yourself. Mm. But speaking of paces, the battle between LeBron James and Paul George, now that was good basketball. That was a game. Took took two overtimes to decide it, man. That's now, that's two of the best going head-to-head for a full—we can't even say it's 48 minutes. They went at it for 58 minutes. But the reason why they went to double overtime is absolutely ridiculous. J.R. Smith on <laughs> one end, boom, hit a clutch three-pointer, end of the clock, or end of the overtime, looking good. What do you do? You foul him going the other way. That's a Knicks play. They were down That's two. That's a Knicks play. Down two, J.R. hits a three with three seconds and somehow has enough time to foul on the other end. Hey, you could take... The Knicks out of J.R. Smith. You can't take the J.R. out of the Knicks. Oh, wait, no, that's not right. You know what? That's right, too, because the Knicks suck. I don't... <laughs> you know what? Sure, it's a both right. <laughs> but let's get on to the real meat and potatoes of, of the NBA. Let's talk about some good basketball. Right. Let's talk about the best basketball being played by the best player this season. That's Russell Westbrook. Can we end this debate? 
unless something crazy were to happen in the next four days, like James Harden scores 100, I think it's safe to say he's wrapped it up. Let's just, let's just take everything else out of it. There's 82 games in a season. He's got 40 triple doubles. He's most likely going to get at least another one before the season's over. That sounds ridiculous, by the way. Yeah, t- to not just average a triple-double, but to think that literally in half the games this season, he's triple-doubled. <laughs> and the past three have been, what, he had a 57-point triple-double just four days ago. The past three triple-doubles have all been 30-plus points. I mean, he leads the league in scoring. He's playing on pro. <laughs> and, and it's not to take anything away from James Harden. James Harden had a terrific season. It really just proves how great Russell Westbrook's season was. That's really the only way you could view it. And if if James Harden gets co-MVP, I'm not mad. But there's no way Russell Westbrook doesn't have a share of it. I, I get that and the whole sentiment that if they share it, it's fair. But I'm, I'm, I don't I'm, want them I'm, to. I, I, I'm, I'm doubling down now. That's Russell's trophy. No, it should be Russell's That's trophy. That's Russell's trophy. This isn't Steve McNair and Peyton Manning. Yeah, exactly. My standpoint is this. Russell should get it. If it ends up co-MVP, so be it. If James some, Harden somehow gets it and Russell don't touch it, that's a problem. Because I can't, and all the people saying, oh, James Harden's team is, team is better, it's, more successful. It's an eight-win difference. But. Eight wins, and be honest with yourself. James Harden's surrounded by shooting. You put Russell Westbrook on the Rockets with that shooting or put the, that shooting on the Thunder. That's 60 wins. Right. Because that's literally Russell Westbrook's problem. The court's small. They know what they're going to do. James Harden could skate through Dan Tony's offense because he know they the team the other team knows that anybody on that court is going to pull it. You got JaVale McGee shooting threes at the end of games against the Wizards. <laughs> anybody going to pull it on that court? So James Harden has a wide open floor to work with. Russell Westbrook deserves a, not to miss a piece of that trophy. If they want to do co MVP, they gave Steph unanimous out. last year. You can't just decide. That was that sounds like the worst. Like now, Steph had a great stretch lately. S- Steph Curry last year. Let's take and you can't obviously take the three pointers out of it, but let's just take the number average. He had Dwayne Wade season from two thousand eight. We've seen this before. All this we never seen it before stuff. No, we saw it. And you know what? Dwayne Wade didn't win the the MVP la- that year. LeBron did. It's the same thing that happens with wrestling fans. You like the people that you can more relate to. So. You know, in wrestling, you like the smaller guys that fly around a little bit because that's what you would have to do in a wrestling match. And for the NBA, Steph Curry, you want to be a chuck out there because you ain't going to boom it. But I, I always love that Steph Curry narrative, too. Underdog, one of us. He's the son of an NBA player, and he's also six foot three. This isn't an accident. He literally almost went to every NBA game there was to go to <laughs> when he was young. So like he when, he, no when he plays with Vince Carter now, and Vince Carter is like talking to him like, hey, man, I remember you was four. Right. Steph Curry's hitting threes back then. <laughs> so it's cool to relate to him, but let's just you know put things into perspective. Steph Curry's not Patrick Beverly. You about you go pick something attainable. You can't all be Steph Curry. Can't. I've settled yeah. into it now. I'm but just, he I'm, had a great stretch himself. I, I lowered my own sights. I, at a young age, I was like, you know what? We can't all be Michael Jordan. I'll be Anton Jameson. You're, you're Steph Curry. I'm a Steph Curry. Steph Curry. You're a Steph Curry uh, liking Bleacher Report uh, LeBron struggles photo. You know what's funny? I was actually on Instagram, and I saw that in the likes. You know, when you follow somebody, they have a high follower count. Their name's listed first. Stephen Curry liked this, and that's hilariously petty. They actually asked him about it. LeBron James came to the championship uh, celebration last year to warrior shirt and a T-Lizard hat. But it's not a rivalry. T-Lizard. But it's not a rivalry. They had a Halloween party where he had corpses and graves for these dudes. Like, come on. No, it's, it's, it is it's a rivalry. They can say whatever they want. I hope they hate each other. It should be. 
But it LeBron's going to win the second chip this season. He's going to erase them from the memory. Are we sure we're getting that trilogy this year? I'm sure LeBron's going to be there. Is, are the Warriors going to make it the question? Because Are the Spurs going to stop them? Are the Rockets going to get hot? Do not sleep on the Clippers. Everybody wants to sleep on the Clippers. <laughs> there you go snoring on them. But let me tell you, CP going to wake you up out your sleep. It's not going to be a nightmare. It's going to be him splashing all over. I'm telling you. Tell you, don't don't count out CP. Hey, okay. you're never ready. <laughs> I'll Forever petty mind stay petty. Mine's thinking longevity until I'm 70. Word to Jay-Z. I'm not sleeping on the Clippers. Shout out to my Eagles fans. I hate your team. Forget and I hope you hate me too. Shout out to the Baltimore Ravens fans. I love y'all. Shout out to all the great athletes out there that let us do what we do. And shout out to the listeners there. Because that is our episode. Episode 9 of Blunt Talk. Please tune in. Follow us on our commentary uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, that's the our commentary. O-U-R. If you want to go to the website, spell it the same. Drop that color. It's colorcommentary.com. C O L. Our commentary. Right. And besides that, you got anything else you want to add for the people? Oh, uh, man, I, I I can't wait to tell y'all how Gonzaga pulled it out next week. You know what y'all need to watch? I'm going to give y'all some homework, listeners. Go watch that John Cena The Rock segment in 2012 with it. Shit got real. The Rock looked like he took two steps to John Cena when a slap, him, slap taste out of his mouth. It was hilarious. Early predictions, The Rock vs. Roman Reigns at WrestleMania this year. I would actually want to see that. Uh, I'm sorry, let me correct myself. Roman Reigns versus The Rock at WrestleMania next year. WrestleMania 34. Let's get that Samoan matchup going. That would be actually pretty good, but that's all the time we got, folks. Signing off. Catch us next week. Peace. <laughs>